Jesse, how you doing? Good, Katie. Do you want to hear a classic New York story? New York? Uh, let's hear it. Is it pizza rat involved or is this going to be like a man with dreadlocks killing dogs? Which one? <laughs> All New York stories fit one of those two basic scripts. So um, I, I got back into town a few days ago. I was very ready to be back in New York, which I found surprising because when I left in July, I was like, I need a fucking break from this place. But I was like, it's time to come back. I'm actually excited to be back in New York for once. Within a day, the city proves me wrong completely. What happened? I have um, no internet. Verizon, a company that has never before done anything wrong I'm aware of. For some reason, my uh, Fios thing isn't working. They do get a tech out to me the next day. The text name is uh, Jack, pronounced very Frenchly or like maybe Haitianly. Jacques. Jacques, but he said it was Jack. I called him Jack. It was pronounced. It was spelled a little bit differently. Um, classic New York archetype. There's like fifty something black guy. He's been around. He know, like I just I liked him immediately. He looks at the modem, sees the red light. He has to find where the like interruption services. So first, he says he has to go around the block to check. And on his way out, he goes, are you a religious man? Mm-hmm. I look him straight in the eye and I lie. I say, no, but, I, no, but I'm a spiritual. <laughs> which is just, why? I, which is like aspirational. I want to be spiritual. I ask him why he's asking. He No, but impl- I do yoga. <laughs> I do yoga. <laughs> I, and I ask why. And he basically says that I should pray that he can find the source of the problem, which is not not a, something you want to hear from a tech support guy. Mm-hmm. Have you tried praying? He goes around the corner, can't find it. He has to get into my backyard. He can't find it. He has to get to the other side of the backyard. He can't find it. Every step of this, there's like slapstick, there's hijinks. It's this 50-something guy who says he has a bad shoulder. He has to get up on my roof. He can't find it anywhere. Two hours of him looking around just to find some like terminal box or whatever. And then eventually he's like, yeah, I, I can't figure it out. Uh, you have to maybe see if your neighbor next door will let us into their backyard and maybe they'll send someone else out. So it turned out Verizon just cannot fix my internet. So I had to cancel Verizon and get a different one. And it just goes to show that like in a normal part of the country, something like that doesn't happen. Like whatever shitty problems you deal with on your dumb peninsula, it's unlikely the internet people would be like, this place is too crowded. I can't fix your internet. Sorry about that. True. But had you been in San Francisco, they would have found your box and it would have been relocated into a homeless encampment uh, <laughs> and being used to set fires by a bunch of fentanyl. Addicts. We can't access the box because there is a ring of strung out. Yeah, I guess it could have been worse. But um, in Seattle, it would have been taken over by anarchists and uh, absconded to cha- chop chaz. Dude, I felt shout out to Jack, man. He like he really put in an effort, like creaky shoulder and all. I felt bad that he couldn't. For some for some reason, the saddest part was when he had to go down the block and it was raining. And I was like, do you want an umbrella? And he's just like, no, that's cool. And just like getting rained on to fix. Oh, the other thing was he was talking about how there used to be like real neighborhoods in New York and there used to be block parties. And I was like, yeah, I know. But I'm the, I'm the fucking like, you're telling Do me lies. this? Do I? Yeah, exactly. Well, best of luck getting your internet, Jesse, although I think you might be better off if you don't. I'm presently tethered. The other uh, option is actually able to come today. So I should be up and running today. But for now, Katie, what is the name of this temporarily tethered podcast? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Hersong. And I'm Jesse Single. And in a little bit, you're going to tell me... Tell me if I have this right or if I hallucinated this. I've got a little little jet lag, a little illness going on. Is this another furry story? Jesse, this one has furries and Nazis. 
Alleged phrase, alleged Nazis. I, I have trouble differentiating between the two. Understandable. Um, you're going to tell me that. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about this latest story in the New York Times about an embattled gender clinic in St. Louis and Jamie Reed, the whistleblower there. But first, can we do a couple quick follow-up items on our last episode? Sure. But first, can I make an announcement? Oh, God. Is the podcast over? And the podcast isn't over. Uh, so the announcement is, Jesse, you're going to be shocked to hear this, but I am... I'm leaving my house. Gay? I, no, I'm not gay. I'm leaving my house. I got bullied into uh, going to this debate in LA next month. This free press debate. Have you heard about this? I was debating going to that. You should go. Why didn't you ask me if I was going? You should go. You could be my plus one. Oh, you'll let me do that then. Or you could be your own plus just one. To be, just to be clear, I got the same cool person <laughs> invite you do. You did via email. <laughs> Well, I'm going. I was not going to go. And then my wife is so desperate uh, to like get some alone time that she bullied me into going. So this is a debate between it's called the title is has the sexual revolution failed and arguing, I think, against the motion is Sarah Hader, friend of the pod and Grimes, friend of the who pod. I believe is your personal friend. <laughs> yeah, friend of the pod. You've met. Yeah. OK. Arguing for the motion that the sexual revolution has failed is... <laughs> Uh, Anna Kachian from Red Scare and Louise Perry, the uh, the British writer. And then yesterday they announced that Tim Dillon is the opening act, uh, which is why my wife decided to buy me a plane ticket and book me a hotel and get me out of the house. Um, so, yeah, this is happening. I think it's going to be quite fun. Uh, hope to see some people there. Maybe even you, Jesse. Well, yeah, it's probably not happening. I would have liked to go to the event. I also anticipate there's going to be like a fun party associated with it. That would have been really fun to go to. I'm going to have some FOMO. It's going to be weird to have you be at an event and me sitting at home that really flips around our, our normal dynamic. Yeah, very strange. I'm a little nervous about it. I've already started having... I just got the tickets last night and I'm already started having stress dreams. About what? About sitting in the audience? No, no, no. Getting from LAX to downtown LA. That's you the also, source of the stress. You're also... I feel like you don't, you're not going to handle this well. I've Just because I'm more social than you and I did like these gatherings in Europe, yeah. you're probably not used to like being recognized. No, That's going to stress you out, I Unfortunately, bet. I do get recognized and I don't handle it well. You, How often do you... You mean by people who hate you or by people... When do you get recognized? I, it happened like a month ago in a, in a park in Tacoma. What happened? Okay. okay. No, so it was nice. That, maybe. It was nice. But yes, I, I anticipate there will be more of that, which is why I'm going to be wearing my fursuit. A fursuit that just looks like me. Um, I had made my peace with not going, but now that you're going, I want to go not to see you, just out of some weird sense of like social competitiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Do me a favor. You should come. If you see Grimes, tell her Jesse says he's sorry. (laughs) I will. But seriously, you should come. I'm going for literally 24 hours. You could come for 48, make it worth your time. Let me see what I can do. It might be tricky. I've got some stuff going on back here. But uh, okay, that is exciting. I'm glad that you're going to like, we, we need to socialize you. Because if yeah. this podcast continues to grow and we, we're like selling out shows at Madison Square Garden, um, which projections indicate we'll be doing this time next mm-hmm. year, we can't have you see it at home. There's too much money to be made. Right. Or you can just zoom me in. You sit, be sitting on stage at Madison Square Garden by yourself and me on a big screen behind you. I like it. Um, okay, that is exciting. I, I bet that'll be a fun event, uh, even if I will have some FOMO if I don't get out there. But yes, let's um, just a couple things from our Chris Rufo New College of Florida episode. Uh, we got one interesting listener email about Hampshire College that I found entertaining. I just want to read that. Hey, folks. Let's, we should say, we got a lot of good emails. We're going to read one, but all of your emails were good. That's not true. Don't lie to them. 
It's like saying the regret rate is zero for a procedure. <laughs> All your we'll emails were amazing. So insightful. Uh, hey, folks, uh, spelled with the X, which I appreciate. It's, it's inclusive. Love the pod. I've been a longtime listener. I actually went to Hampshire College primarily because I had a family member that went to Bennington, and I loved the vibe of a smaller liberal arts college. Hampshire was the most insane place I've ever experienced. This was in the late 2000s, early 2010s. I got shouted down in a psych class for suggesting that there is an inherent morality in human nature. I was told that was white supremacy, and there was no way that could be true. (laughs) Okay, let's just forget about any laws that had been established by societies predating European colonization. Regardless, Hampshire did almost collapse from lack of enrollment. In 2019, they announced they needed external financial support, and the students organized a sit-in in the dean's office. It was a total shit show. They ended up voting not to admit a class that fall. I think 13 kids that were already committed came. Somehow, they pulled funding together, and the school is still running. It's mind-blowing to me because the school is not cheap. The tuition when I went was 58 thousand a year holy Is shit that a real tuition uh where did that money go funding the school's larp team <laughs> i'm not kidding that's a real thing <laughs> I hope the new school kids enjoy Amherst, but Amherst is not really in a good place either. You guys should do an episode on it too. Non satisfire, which is apparently the motto of Hampshire College, meaning to know is not enough. Yes, the context there is some of the uh, refugees from New College of Florida. I'm sure people won't be offended by that term. Uh, have been uh, embraced with open arms by Hampshire College. Uh, and now we know why, because Hampshire College is bleeding enrollment too. Uh, you know, I think I have uh, a solution to their funding problems. What's that? Corporate sponsorships. So it could be like Hampshire College brought to you by Raytheon. I like that. Or individual kids get sponsored. So it's like, yeah. I'm Teddy. I'm a freshman. Uh, I'm here because of Reebok and they have to wear Reebok gear. They're sort of owned by the corporation for those four years. Yeah. You could do your land acknowledgement and your sponsor acknowledgement at the same time. We also got an email from a new College of Florida grad arguing that we were sort of giving short shrift to the college's academic quality. Um, And he basically argued that those rankings we mentioned, the rankings the state of Florida uses to evaluate public colleges, he thought were a little bit unfair and just were too focused on like how much money people brought in, uh, grads brought into the state of Florida. He claimed that they just excluded income you get after graduating if you don't live in Florida. I couldn't confirm that from looking at the metrics, but I I saw, I think he made a fair point that like maybe these rankings that New College of Florida did poorly on aren't the best thing in the world. I think we should just link to them and people can um, decide for themselves. Um, Was there any, while we're on the subject, were there any other like critiques or feedback you want to respond to from that episode? Well, I would have had to read them to know that, Jesse. (laughs) No, uh, we got some interesting emails. Yeah, I think people, we have a fair number of listeners who like Chris Rufo. And I think that when we criticize Rufo, they don't like that. And I hope people realize, like, our criticism of Chris Rufo, like, we come by this honestly. And in my case, I come by this not just... I come by it dishonestly. (laughs) Not just because of, I think, his politics have shifted in a really unfortunate direction, but also some personal experience with Chris Rufo. And I've mentioned this on the show before, but he was a libertarian running for, uh, when I met him, he was a libertarian. He was running for Seattle City Council. And I was writing a profile of him when he dropped out of the race. And he said that he dropped out of the race because because he got what he called sexually violent threats from local Seattle progressives. And his example of this was that someone on Facebook told his wife to get bent. And this is obviously a very dishonest way of framing sexually violent threats. And his politics have really shifted from this libertarian position, which I, despite having some disagreements with, I 
respect, to being this arch-conservative culture warrior who I think has some totalitarian tendencies. He does not believe in things like academic freedom. He doesn't. He used to, but he doesn't anymore. What's weird is like he's he's very much a big government conservative. I mean, he really thinks the government should be taking an active role in this sort of like social and academic engineering that a libertarian would not be in favor of any of this. Um, yeah. If get bent is sexually violent language, it's surprising to me that Bart Simpson hasn't been canceled. Seriously. I think you can get that on a t-shirt. He also said don't have a cow, which is also sexually violent language because mm-hmm. what orifice would the cow come out and what would that do to the person having the cow? When you think about it. It's also fat phobic. Is it? I don't think it's. No, it's uh, whatever. All right. Moving on. Uh, Moving on. Yeah. uh, Jamie Reed. Katie, remind everyone briefly who Jamie Reed is, what she alleged, and why she's a transphobic monster. Jamie Reed is a former, was she a case manager? Yeah. At a gender clinic in St. Louis. This was affiliated with the University of Washington's University of the, what what (laughs) The misleadingly named Washington University of St. Louis. Okay, got it. So she was a case manager there and she wrote a piece for, she'd been there for a long time. She wrote a piece for the pre-press last winter, uh, sort of whistleblowing on the clinic. And she made lots and lots of pretty wild allegations about the care that they were offering their their patients. Yeah, uh, this was accompanied by an affidavit, a sworn affidavit she filed. This sparked a investigation, uh, multiple investigations, one of them led by the politically ambitious Attorney General of Missouri. Uh, And uh, it also puts like uh, youth gender medicine in jeopardy because a law was passed and signed by the governor there that um, basically as of August 28th bans these procedures. Uh, Kids who are still on them can continue to receive them. But it, it's it's a sea change in youth gender medicine uh, in Missouri uh, in a way that has caused a lot of liberal panic. And she also indirectly landed you in prison. Yes, I just got out of prison. I said I was in Germany. I was in prison for um, alleged HIPAA violations. Uh, just Twitter my name in HIPAA. You'll get filled in on that yeah. pretty quickly. Um and then go to a HIPAA explainer about who's actually susceptible to HIPAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so we are revisiting revisiting this because on Wednesday, the New York Times releases an article that significantly advanced the story. Uh, Wednesday was the same day I flew home, so that was very inconsiderate of them. I wish they'd consulted me. The headline, How a Small Gender Clinic Landed in a Political Storm, subhead, Washington University's Youth Gender Clinic in St. Louis, like others around the world, was overwhelmed by new patients and struggled to provide them with mental health care. Uh, the author is Azine Gureshi, a science writer at the Times, who has been on this beat for a couple of years now, um, though she writes about other stuff as well. Uh, I, I just want to quickly pause right there, actually, because I, I don't think folks understand how random it is. Like, which publications cover which issues for what reasons. So, I mean, I, I almost feel like a good example is you at The Stranger. You were you had pretty free reign to write, but a lot of that was simply because Dan Savage liked you and you had a little bit of a protective bubble, right? Or am I oversimplifying that? No, you're right. I uh, Most other writers at The Strangers had a beat. So you had someone who was covering the city council or you had someone like an arts reporter a cops reporter, stuff like that. And I was, a, I, I wrote about whatever I fucking felt like. Yeah. It was and, a fantastic position to be in. And that was, that was in part just because you had a good relationship with Dan Savage, right? Yeah, probably Dan and uh, the publisher. So in the case of the Times and Azine Gureshi, like she, she is basically one of the only science journalists at a mainstream publication treating this issue seriously and doing actual journalism rather than PR garbage on it. And that is just like, that is, 
happened for random reasons. It happened because she was in this position at the right time because she has supportive editors. Um, I just think people look, we we've talked a lot on this show about the climate of groupthink and the effects of Twitter, but like the, the question of what gets covered, how and by who is actually pretty opaque and just is a result of random factors. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think we should just appreciate like we and the discourse are lucky that the Times is willing to do reporting on this subject. And it, it might that was not necessarily going to be the case. Yeah. And the beat that someone has doesn't necessarily mean that they are a subject matter expert Absolutely in that beat. Not. It might just be the job that was open at the time that they were applying for jobs. The other and the other thing is, as this medical and scientific controversy has gotten mixed up with an identity issue. You have instances like at NBC News, I'm not going to mention this person's name, of folks ben with Collins. no fucking qualifications. <laughs> not ben, no, I mean, that's another example. He's not really, well, before you so rudely <laughs> disrupted me, what I was going to point out is like, if you treat it as an oh, identity Joe issue, Yoruba? the NBC News person, <laughs> I wasn't, that's not how you pronounce her name, their name, and I'm not going to say Yoruba. their name. I'm not trying to start more fights. <laughs> That's not how you pronounce it. It's not Joe Yoruba because there's no such person as Joe Yoruba. (laughs) People can get in in today, in this day and age, you can get on this quote unquote beat just because you will reliably write, you know, the correct thing that you'll write that there's no questions about these treatments, blah, blah, blah. So all of which is to say it's a sign of progress. The Times is actually covering. Right. So you when you told me that there was this that this article came out and you wanted to talk about it on the pod when I opened the link, I was so glad to see whose byline it was. She's consistently trustworthy on this on this yeah. issue in a way that very few science writers are. Yeah. Or writers are. And that doesn't mean I, I this is like a really difficult subject to cover. I, I don't agree with every aspect of how she frames everything, but she's like actually right. informed and has made the effort to talk to people on different sides of it much to she's had to grapple with a wave of bullshit over it. So uh, I will say like as a journalist, it's always nice to get emails from listeners saying you appreciate their work. So if you appreciate her work, send her an email. Um, I did. Did you? Mm-hmm. I did it. I'm not following my own. <laughs> you asshole. I sent her a death threat <laughs> just to keep <laughs> her on her toes. Get off my ass. <laughs> get bit, Get bent. Have a cow. (laughs) So this is basically the nut graph of the article. Some of Ms. Reed's claims could not be confirmed, and at least one included factual inaccuracies, but others were corroborated, offering a rare glimpse into one of the hundred or so clinics in the United States that have been at the center of an intensifying fight over transgender rights. So Gracie explains that this gender clinic and the broader hospital in which it's housed was so overwhelmed with kids identifying as trans that it did not appear to give them like careful, individualized care and attention. By the end of 2021, the clinic was getting four or five calls concerning prospective new patients a day. That is crazy. crazy. Until crazy. recently, gender dysphoria was thought to be a very rare condition. Um, that's a crazy uptick. So the story roughly corroborates Reed's account of a poorly run, overwhelmed clinic where kids weren't getting the assessment they needed. Now, Gureshi, like everyone else who has looked into this, has found plenty of parents coming forward and saying they think the clinic did a good job, which... I've got to say, I don't really think that tells us much one way or another. What do you think of like these these anecdotal accounts? Uh, I'm not trying to tip my hand by saying anecdotal. They are anecdotal. This isn't data. This is parents saying, I think my kid is doing well, or the kids saying, I think these treatments helped. What do you think about like how we should contextualize those? Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising at all. She did lead with those stories, which leading with the happy outcomes is a choice. It's probably a necess- necessary one considering the political atmosphere at the times. Uh, I do think that that sort of slants the narrative, slants the piece a little bit in favor of affirming care. And I saw this was something that 
you know, Azeen got a shit ton. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this. A shit ton of criticism from sort of the blindly pro-trans affirmation activist side of Twitter. Glad we'll talk about that. Uh, she also got a lot of criticism from sort of gender critical types. And one of their criticisms, which I do think was semi-legitimate, was that she starts the narrative with this. But I also I think yeah. it was 100 percent necessary to get to get the piece fucking published yeah no you definitely you you can't ignore those voices i just i just no you can't ignore them but i mean just leading with them i just struggle with like what to make of them because like um it it is a bedrock principle i mean okay the problem is we have no data all we have in the absence of any real data on these treatments or meaningful good data is anecdotes and anecdotes can't substitute for data so a bedrock principle of like evaluating medical treatments is you can't just go to someone and say, do you think this treatment helped you? Yes. You need to do it in more sort of formalized, objective ways. Journalism requires anecdotes because you need quotes, you need scenes. But um, the people who are like, oh, we found a bunch of happy patients, that debunks Jamie Reed. I don't think that ever made sense because it was also the clinic might get shut down. And obviously there's parents who think the treatments helped and my view is I'm sure for some of them it did. So it just, that wasn't surprising to me. And I just, people should, I think, take that with a grain of salt. Um, people should just read this piece because there's there's like too much nuance to get into everything. I will say, uh, I think the affidavit Jamie Reed filed has some weaknesses that are becoming apparent. Uh, the most damning thing about her in the Gracie piece is this. One parent said that, perhaps in pursuit of, um, I'm bracketing here, but basically Jamie Reed's political goals, Ms. Reed has rip- misrepresented her child's experience. Ms. Reed's affidavit describes a patient whose liver was damaged after taking bicalutamide, bi- a drug that blocks testosterone. It makes a specific claim about what a patient had written to the child's doctors. Quote, the parent said they were not the type to sue, but quote, this could be a huge PR problem for you, double end quote. Um, so basically this parent... Fervently denied she ever threatened to sue and also pointed out that this was an oversimplified account of how her kid had medical problems. Like the kid was on other drugs. They'd been on this drug for a while. Uh, There was a COVID thing, blah, blah, blah. So the message they did send the doctors actually did not contain any legal threat, contrary to what Reed wrote in her affidavit. Um, And here's how Reed defended that. Jamie Reed, according to Zingara Gureshi, quote, Ms. Reed said that she learned about the case from Ms. Hammond. This is a nurse she worked with who also had qualms about these treatments, who helped compile examples for the affidavit and that she regretted citing the case when she had not seen the medical record herself. My daughter's situation was exploited. Heidi, that's the mom, said, noting that the hospital told her that her records would be shared with the state. So, Katie, I think if we're being fair, we have to admit that if someone whose argument or claimed experience we weren't sympathetic to had included something in a sworn affidavit that turned out to be false, and then they were just like, I didn't confirm this before putting it in a sworn affidavit, we'd treat that as a knock on their credibility a little bit, right? Sure. I do think the fact that she admits this and regrets it, and as far as we know, this was the one the one example that was that was misrepresented or incorrect, right? Well, there's another one I'm going to get to in a minute that's borderline, but but finish your thought. Okay, so you've you've spent some time speaking with Jamie Reed, and yeah. she's always struck you as a as a very honest person, right? Yeah, yeah. In terms of someone like deliberately lying, no, she just does not come across that way at all. And she's always everything she can back up in light of like HIPAA requirements and stuff. She has backed up to me. Um, yeah. So. So this, to me, this strikes me as more sloppy than du- duplicitous. Taking something you heard, like second or third hand, um, yeah. 
Yeah, third hand, I guess, because second hand would be the nurse. Without verifying those. Yeah, putting yeah. in a sworn affidavit that, you know, it's not great. It does suggest she didn't fact check things carefully. Similarly, at one point, Azine Gureshi notes that reads, quote, affidavit claimed that the clinic's doctors did not inform parents or children of the serious side effects of puberty blockers and hormones, but emails show that Ms. Reed herself provided parents with flyers outlining potential risks, end quote. This had come up in some previous coverage. If you go to Jamie Reed's affidavit, you'll see that it reads, quote, before placing children on cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers, the center also did not inform parents or children of the very serious side effects. To me, that's less evidence of dishonesty and more just like evidence that the affidavit was sloppily written. If they'd said the center did also did not always inform parents, mm-hmm. that would be a different thing. As written, it sort of reads like Jamie Reed saying the center never informed anyone of potential side effects, but I just don't think that's ever been her claim. But her critics have gotten a lot of mileage out of calling her a liar for that. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I left this, this in part because my original read of the situation was like, it didn't surprise me that this sort of stuff would happen at a St. Louis clinic, given what happened at the Tavistock clinic in the UK, where Hannah Barnes, this BBC journalist wrote a whole book about very similar stuff to what we're describing here happening at the, the most, you know, arguably the most important youth gender clinic in the world. It did not shock me one bit that the same stuff would happen here. Cause like after I finished Hannah Barnes's book, and I, I think I mentioned this in the interview we did with her uh, for one episode, I couldn't come up with any reasons to think that, we wouldn't have an even worse situation given our own, you know, healthcare travails. So um, I read Azeem Gureshi's story. I did not think the affidavit thing was good, but I, I thought it mostly corroborated uh, the the important broad strokes of what she's saying about a clinic not giving kids good care. Did anything else jump out at you about the story before we move on? Yeah, so... The pieces, Azine's piece is nuanced. And I think some people, some like gender critical activists were pissed that this wasn't just like a a sort of slam dunk in favor of Jamie Reed. That to me says a lot about Azine Gureshi's reporting because she's trying to figure out what happened. She's not an activist. I actually don't know where she stands on these issues, which I think is a sign of a a really good journalist Um, or at least a fair one. An increasingly rare thing for the people covering this. Um, I did have some quibbles about the piece. Like there were a couple things that Jamie Reed alleged that I really want to know the the backstory in. Like the, the two most striking, bizarre examples that Jamie Reed wrote about in the free press where she wrote about a teenager who came to the clinic who had severe psychiatric issues and he had been, according to Jamie Reed's, sexually abusing dogs. And she wrote that he'd been, kid had been horrifically abused as a child, mother drug addict, father in prison, grew up in foster homes, and he'd been in a, a lockdown facility because he'd been raping dogs. And so he goes to this clinic and he says that when he gets out, he plans to keep raping dogs because he believed that the dogs, quote, had willingly submitted. couple things there. One, what kind of dog? Katie, your response. <laughs> Two, anybody who's tried to get a dog to do something they don't want to do, very hard to do. Uh, so he might be onto something there. Anyway, so she writes that at some point he expressed a, di- a desire to become female, and that's why he was in this clinic. So he goes to this clinic, and the doctors there approve him for hormones. And Jamie Reed writes, At the time, I wondered if this was being done as a form of chemical castration. That same thought came up again with another case. This one was in spring of 2022 and concerned a young man who had intense obsessive compulsive disorder that manifested as a desire to cut off his penis after he masturbated. The patient expressed no gender dysphoria, but he got hormones too. I asked the doctor what protocol he was following, and I never got a straight answer. So 
I want it. I want to. I want confirmation that this did or didn't happen because those cases are so yeah. bizarre. And the fact, like, the, if this is real, if this clinic is taking these very psychotic patients, technical term, psycho patients, and giving them hormones, that to me is yeah. th- it's shocking. It seems like malpractice. It might not be. So I wish that the piece had had. Uh, more like detailed information about those two, the dog fucker and the penis cutter. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that line about like not all of her accusations were able to be corroborated uh, covered a lot of really disturbing cases. I will say, in Azeen Gracie's defense, this is like a really tough nut to crack uh, repertorially because um, Jamie Reed is not going to give you the info you would need to track these kids down. Right. In my experience, like she actually, despite all the shit slung at her. She's careful about actually identifying information. People misunderstand HIPAA. You can say things about a patient as long as it's not uh, certain these different categories of identifying information. She doesn't want to end up in HIPAA prison with you. With me. Yeah, exactly. Where I'm reporting from. (laughs) So from like a zine's point of view, you know, you can ask around a little, but I'm guessing she did not like fly to St. Louis, however many times she did, with much expectation she could track down the dog fucker. Look for a Interview, interview disturbed looking dogs. Um, So that, I I, I would not, like if I had been in her shoes, I would not have like expected to be able to get that. But I I very much want that. I also want more on the, this kid I wrote about who like, it's not as crazy a case, but it's a case who um, in the referral letter said they identified as an attack right. helicopter and then were really struggling their first session after going on hormones at this clinic. Couldn't even say what their gender identity was. Just seemed totally fucked up. Um, now, I will say I do not trust. I think it's really bad that this investigation is being led by a, a like I said, politically ambitious Republican AG who's going to try to squeeze culture war juice out of it. But... We do know with some certainty if these Republican investigators can find that stuff, it will be in whatever final report they produce. Mm-hmm. They would have no conceivable reason. If they actually took a dog fucker and transitioned them, like that will be in the final report. So I think they are going to dog parks. <laughs> I think that's where we're going to find out which of these most insanely hideous claims uh, are true. Yeah. Um, the other sort of quibble that I had, I mean, small things, like she didn't mention the documented side effects of puberty blockers, which I think is important and also something that a lot of casual readers probably aren't aware of because activists continue and activist journalists continue to repeat these lines that puberty blockers are reversible, 100 percent reversible. And she also didn't mention that from the studies we've seen. So the, the original idea of putting kids on puberty blockers was to give them this sort of waiting period so they could... Time to think. T- time to think before they actually decide to go on cross-sex hormones, before they actually try to change their sex. And from the studies that we've seen, it turns out that almost 100% of kids who go on puberty blockers continue on to cross-sex hormones. So it does it give them time to think or is it sort of a gateway to to sex changes? Right. I think that was worth mentioning. Okay, I thought you, I was going to jump jump down your throat, but you phrased that as a question, which it should. Yeah, we don't know. The, the counter, it's like if a clinic diagnoses kids so well, they only put kids on blockers who are insanely right. dysphoric, that could be another explanation for that pattern. I think there's no sign that stuff like, we, we know from Reuters reporting that a lot of clinics are not doing careful assessments. So um, yeah. Yeah. And then the only other sort of quibble worth mentioning I had was that she mentions that 
the University of Washington did this investigation into the clinic on their own after Jamie Reed's oh, piece yeah. came out. And according to their... They cleared themselves. They cleared themselves. And according to them, out of the 598 patients that they looked into, there were zero adverse reactions. Jesse, please explain. Zero regrets. Please explain why it's that is not, fucking possible. Not, it's, just impo- it's just not possible. Not only that, but we know some examples right. from other reporting, including, yes. I think, some disease of people complaining about physical... So, yeah, I think she could have more... Uh, not only that, but also Jamie Reed's team, for what it's worth, mentioned certain uh, suspicious numerical aspects of this ridiculous, very perfunctory, quote unquote, investigation the clinic did. Now, the clinic's in a tough position because it's the, its very existence is in jeopardy, I think. And you wouldn't have expected them to do it careful. It's just pe- right. people's um, sense of skepticism waxes and wanes with the subject. Like you saw people who are like very like lefty, anti-establishment, anti-institution be like, well, the clinic, uh, they investigated right. themselves and they think they're doing great. So case closed. Jamie Reed's a liar. That's really stupid. Right. Yeah. But overall, I thought the piece was really balanced. It was thorough. Uh, I was impressed that it was published. I'm really impressed that Azine continues to write on this beat, even though she has taken so much shit. She was named in this ridiculous open letter we've talked about on the show before, where some of her own colleagues accused her of bigotry, her and and, uh, some other New York Times writers. So I'm really impressed that she's got the courage to stick with this. And I'm really glad that she's as good as she is. Yeah, she's like, there's almost... We've been like so lucky with this podcast and I've I've had similar good fortune with my newsletter. There's very few like positions in journalism where I'm like a little bit jealous and I'm like, I would do that because uh, I just I, I think my own situation is great. But having months and months to report on a story like this and to really devote yourself to it, there's hardly any positions left in journalism where you can get to do that. And it's like that we need that. And it's really important. And it's um not that she didn't work her ass on, off on it, but she she had the luxury of time and institutional support. She would not have had if like, you know, insiders like shit out an article about how Jamie reads a bigot or whatever. All right, Katie, I guess that that covers like the substantive stuff. I I suppose we should also talk about Glad's uh, Glad's response to it. <laughs> yes, completely normal response. Yeah, so Glad did not like this. They're continuing to do everything they can to sort of shovel shit at journalists who uh, act like real journalists on this. They tweeted yesterday at New York Times published yet another biased anti-trans article. This morning, we're back at the New York Times headquarters holding them accountable. Wait, did they? So did they bring the truck back to Times Square, or has it been there all along and they just changed the billboard? Uh, yeah, just covered in parking tickets. No, I think they rent a truck, like go to I don't know Hertz U-Haul, and they rent a truck, and it, they've got some some like electronic billboards, and they park outside the New York Times building, and they wait for Matt Iglesias to come and report them for illegal parking, uh, and they pu- try to publicly shame New York Times reporters. Any day where you have to rent a truck is such a bitch. In New York City, it's particularly impossible. I feel so bad for the interns that are like, all right, Tommy, um, you and Rachel are going to go get the anti-transphobia truck. And they just lose a whole day. They probably don't get much of a per diem for like snacks. Uh huh. Also, how is Glad able to get these prime parking spaces? Like, it's so hard to park Great in Manhattan. Question. I wonder if they circle. Do you think, do the Do you think they circle? And the cops are like, move it along, move it along. Yeah. And then Greta Thunberg jumps out and starts shaming them for burning fossil fuels. Um. So either way, the truck billboard read, yesterday's story about trans health care, then there were bullet points. One of the bullet points was, pushes debunked lies from an anti-trans extremist. Katie, tick off a couple of quick problems with the idea that Jamie Reed is an anti-trans extremist. Well, she's married to a trans man. 
Mm-hmm. That'd be one. That'd be mm-hmm. sort of the first one. She also uh, spent a big chunk of her career working at a ge- fucking gender clinic. <laughs> it's not defamatory in a legal sense because it's a matter of opinion, but it's just fucking bullshit. And it's really unprofessional, although we should expect nothing less of glad from this point. Uh, but I think my favorite part of the online clusterfuck, although I was going to say it's a, it was an online clusterfuck, I sort of feel like, tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like people are a little bit maybe running out of steam getting mad about this stuff all the time. It just seems like increasingly muted, to be honest. Okay. Well, I think the problem with making that judgment is that you and I are both blocked by so many of the people who are going to agree with Glad that well, you're probably not seeing a lot of it. Well, but unlike you, I've no but unlike you, I've figured out how to use incognito mode and I see like how many retweets they you get. You can't do that with with the, with new Twitter. I was I've been able to figure out. I don't know. I just think some of these like outrage. Okay, you tweets have a and, burner account. Is what you're saying? I don't have a burner account. I think some of these outrage tweets uh, or threads that uh, a year ago would have gotten two thousand retweets are getting two or three hundred. But that is a subjective judgment. No, I think it, I think something has definitely changed, and I think part of that is Elon Twitter. So because of who plays pays for blue check marks and their own. I think skewed political affiliation, sort of not towards conservatism or liberalism, but anti-woke, I would say. Uh, When Glad tweets something like this, the top responses are not going to be people saying, yeah, Jamie Reed's transphobic. They're people who are going to be saying, go fuck yourself, Glad. Or the Holocaust didn't happen. (laughs) True, true. Just a mix of good folk right. in the German sense of the term. Um, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Anyway, the my favorite part was uh, Glad goes, we want to highlight just a few community critiques of this bias piece. Then they link to the following sources. Everett Urquhart, <laughs> Zach Ford, Alejandra Caraballo, Aaron Reed, Michael Hobbs. That one has this whole thread is worth a deep dive. And some others. So so it's a block, 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 block. <laughs> I couldn't see Same for me. I'm blocked by everyone. I believe everyone except for Evan Urquhart Evan. I just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, that's who Glad believes is trustworthy on the subject. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you probably know they're not. Will you just explain who Zach Ford is oh, and what, what he did? So before I was like really into this shit. Zach Ford works for Think Progress and he is a moron. What he would do is he would he had a small circle of trans activists who he would treat at his as his sources. Um folks like Bryn Tannehill uh and um Julia Serrano, who whatever, they're entitled to their own views. Not everything they say they're is activists, wrong. They're activists though. They're activists. Well, yeah. Um Ford was so not only wrong, but aggressively and sneeringly wrong, and also ill-informed so so at one point he tweets i'll include a link to an old medium post i did when he went after me at one point he basically tweets that no not only are estimates of the desistance rate overblown desistance being when kids like no longer think they're trans over time he'd never talked to a doctor who even understood how it could happen like desistance was just a myth he also he he at one point didn't understand the term TGNC, transgender and gender nonconforming. If you read the literature, you'll encounter that a shit done. You'll know what it means. When someone doesn't understand a basic term using an area of literature, that means they're stupid or lazy, or in his case, both. He also one time took a shot at Scott Leibowitz and Laura Edwards Leeper, both of whom are really accomplished clinicians who have like, um, you know, expressed some concerns about this, Edwards Leeper more so. It was such a nasty, clearly libelous shot that his editors just like deleted it from the piece and then sort of 
posted a note at the bottom saying that it had been wrong. So he is one of the worst journalists I've ever come across. Think Progress shut down. I believe he's in PR now, which is exactly where that fucker belongs. Just mm-hmm. he, however mad I get about, you know, Michael Hobbs types today. At the time, I was that agitated about Pat. Uh, I just forgot his name. I was so mad. Zach Ford. Um, and I'll just include a link to my thing. And, and oh, oh, sorry. The th- well, the worst thing he did is he he also um, just is a really dishonest reporter. He one time interviewed a clinician months before my Atlantic article came out and then positioned that quote as though the clinician who could not, by the laws of the era of time, have read my article yet. He positioned it as though that clinician was criticizing my article. So. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers Medium. That's how we blogged back then. But I'll include a link to the Medium post where I just go through all that shit. Right. So these five people who Glad thinks of as experts, not a single one of them are to be trusted on this issue. These are not experts. These are activists. I, I don't think so. And of course, like, I don't know, people say the same thing about us, but I feel like we show our work and we've tried to engage with them, whereas all they do is block anyone and refuse to have any engagement with folks who disagree with them. Anything else on uh, New York Times, Azeen Gracie, Jamie Reed, Glad? The only thing is, so Azeen got, did get a shit ton of criticism for this article. I still don't think she got as much as you do on a regular basis. Like, I didn't see anybody saying that she should go to prison. I mean, she probably should for transphobia, because in my world, transphobia would be outlawed. Uh, but yeah, nothing about going to prison. Uh, people, the reaction to Jamie Reed when this story first came out it was just, it was telling because people will just go after anyone who, I don't know, man, it's tricky. If Republicans weren't trying to ban these treatments, it would also be a lot easier to have a sane conversation about it. But uh, whether or not Republicans are trying to ban it, ever since I've been writing about this, there's folks who will really go after anyone with any skepticism. And I don't think their views are going to age well. I I completely agree with you. I also think that Azeen, there's one really big difference between the two of you, which is that she doesn't get on fights on Twitter. Yeah. uh, And and that insulates her for life. She deleted her Twitter, actually, which is which was really smart. Isn't she back on now? No. Uh, Well, yeah, that's smart. Also, she well, I was gonna say because of times rules, she can't get in fights on Twitter. But that that's pretty selectively enforced. We know some people at the times are allowed to fight on Twitter as much as they want. Oh, yeah, for sure. Should we move on to housekeeping? Let's do it. You should do it. I'm tired. My voice hurts. My little voice. No, My voice is about to hurt. So God damn it. All right. Well, let's just switch. Let's see what happens if we um, switch off every word doing housekeeping. Blocked. Okay, no, just do it. We're a podcast. You can go to blockreporter.org uh, where you can find a lot of stuff, including our merch. There's a little link there to the merch store. We have hats. We have... Tote bags. Other hats. Tote bags. We have uh, Hoodies. fentanyl. Hoodies. T-shirts. Laced with fentanyl. T-shirts. Hats. More hats. What have I not? Tote bags. All right, move on. And hats. Um, and you can also become a premium subscriber at blockreporter.org where for just $5 a month and up, you can gain access to three extra episodes of this podcast every month. Uh, what was the last one we did about? Lan Kelly Chase, the looting of Lan Kelly Chase. Oh, dude, this fucking British charity. Katie told the story. Amazing story of the implosion of a British charity. Highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, we've got some good stuff coming there. But yeah, you can be part of a community of 12,000 people, which is crazy. That's enough people 
I mean, that's basically the population of the whole planet. Everyone on Earth listens to us. It's crazy. That is four times the population of my hometown. Uh, yes, blotchreport.org. Also, continue to rate and review us on iTunes. We saw some very nice, or I saw when I checked last night, some very nice five-star reviews. We've won the 4.6, 4.7 wars for now. We're hoping to push it to 4.8. I don't want to get greedy, but as I've said before... I will be miserable and unfulfilled until we get to 4.8. And Katie feels the same way. Exactly. Reddit, blockchainreporter.reddit.com. And yeah, to say hi to, say hi. If you see Katie at this LA thing that I want to go to, but don't think I can, don't just say hi to her. Say hi to her in a very like creepy mouth breathy way because Katie likes that. Make it sexual. Make it. That's, thank you. That's what I was going for. All right. That's housekeeping. Katie, tell me a story. Okay, Jesse. So we've got a real beast of a story today. And I don't just say that because we're talking about furries again. And, you know, I, I try to stick to our blood oath to only have one furry episode per quarter. But this story was so weird and so online that we decided to make an exception to the rule. And it starts with a video posted on August 13th on Twitter by someone with the handle at Dog and Real. Let's watch that now. And Jesse, please describe the scene. I'm not going to like this. Or we will make you leave. Oh my god, it's a furry on a beach attacking a guy with a megaphone. Holy shit, that's like quite violent, even by the standards of furries. Okay, alright, we're off to a good start. Okay, so this video naturally goes viral. It currently has 2.7 million views and over 10,000 likes. And it gets picked up by the media. Now, a fight on a beach would probably not normally make national or international headlines. But in this case... Unless unless it was an interracial fight, in which case, sure. for days. Actually, yeah. very true. Very true. Uh, in this case, furries are involved. So here are some of the headlines. So it was an interracial fight. <laughs> TMZ. Man attacked by furry at Huntington Beach meetup. Wild video shows. New York Post. Fur- furious furries fight back after busting men filming them on the beach. And the Daily Mail... Bizarre moment man is attacked by furry after he's caught filming fetish group in Huntington Beach. And they they all capsed furry, which is what that should be the style going forward for this podcast. So I'm going to read you just the bullet points uh, from that Daily Mail post. Quote, two people in black wolf costumes got into an altercation in Huntington Beach on Saturday after a man who was recording them refused to leave. The incident, which was caught on video, happened at a Sunset Beach bonfire fur meet where hundreds of furries were out in full force. They capitalized furry. I like that. Capitalized black, capitalized furry. It appeared to start after a man was filming the group and had his phone in the face of one member who warned him to leave. Okay, so... Can I just say the the fur meet is such an unfortunate mm-hmm, phrase. Yeah. They could do... Even if you just said fur meetup, it just... It sounds very distasteful. It does. Okay, so that's the story that spreads... A man, a human, a non-furry, was filming a furry meetup at the beach and a furry in a... He wasn't just in a wolf costume. He was in a pirate wolf costume, told him to leave. And when he refused, the furry attacked him with a megaphone. He hits him in the head. You can see it on the video. Hits him in the head with a megaphone. And as you can see in the video, another man, another human, jumped in to pull the furry off. And then another furry, who was also dressed like a pirate wolf, he jumps in. So these four people, well... Two furries and two people are tussling in the sand and others try to break it up. The Daily Mail has some other details. Quote, the furry who rushed into the fight is seen without his head mask on and shouts, you're being sued for assault before telling a woman to fuck off. He is then led away from the scene. The man at the center of the altercation is still lying on the floor and is seen holding his head while another furry wearing a gray tail checks on him. 
Why am I the one who got beat up, he says. I'm going to require stitches. The furry checks on the man's injuries, and someone is heard saying, call 911, before the injured man tries to get up and shouts, I'm going to sue you until you don't have a life. But he is restrained. One of the fighting furries comforts the man who was recording them and says, idiotic fucking people did this, propagated rumors that led to this, fuck you people. In a separate clip, police officers were seen arresting one of the fighting furries who was heard saying, I am not resisting. One person in the crowd adds, they haven't done anything wrong. It's not clear how the argument started, but there have been claims online about infighting within the furries community. That's such better, more in-depth reporting than you usually get from the Daily Mail. It really is. Yeah. They must have had a witness on scene. Uh, They're furry furry correspondent. So, Jesse, infighting might be an understatement here because what led up to this was more of a dogfight. And the most comprehensive write-up about this was published at dogpatch.press by a furry named Patchofer. I'm sure that's his government name. That's an Irish setter. (laughs) So Patchofer reports that the event was the 11th annual Sunset Beach Bonfire Meetup. It took place on August 12th. This was a private event. So there were tents, beach volleyball courts, and of course a fursuit lounge for people to get out of the sun. I mean, can you imagine the smell inside a fursuit on a hot summer day? Nope. Don't want to. Not good. So anyway, the fight happens. The short clip goes viral. Pacho Fur thinks that the media coverage was uh, dog shit. He calls it, quote, regurgitated third-hand info. They, and that's the media, don't care about accuracy because they have agendas, which honestly, no argument for me. Uh, And he says that what really happened was that the guy who was hit was there with his boyfriend. They were both trespassing at the event after being banned for life. No no chance of appeal. Banned for life from... A furry gathering. Yeah. What were they banned for? Okay, so we'll get to that. But their names are Scarred and Wren. And according to Pacho Fur, they're Nazis. Or technically, Scarred is a Nazi and Wren is the boyfriend of the Nazi. But I heard on Twitter that if there's one Nazi at a dinner party or a furry meetup, the whole thing is Nazis. So Wren is a Nazi by association. It's it's sexually transmitted. It is. Yeah. So. And it was Ren who was attacked by the pirate wolf, or it might be wolf pirate. Unclear what the appropriate taxonomy is there. Now, I've never before encountered on the internet a false accusation of being someone a Nazi, but I, I should, just for the, you know, to be careful, is there any chance that happened here? Are they actually Nazis? Okay, Jesse, this is the question we are going to answer today. We will get to this. But if you ask Pacho Fur and others in the fandom, the answer is unequivocally yes. So in this article, Pacho Fur, he quotes a source who was at the event, and this source said, quote, They have been banned from numerous Southern California furry events because of death threats and harassment campaigns to members, most of which were done verbally with no recordings, along with affiliation with the furry raiders, a known neo-Nazi furry group. Jesse, do you remember the furry raiders? We did an episode about them a while back. I definitely don't remember the furry raiders. Okay, so they're basically a controversial, conservative-leaning furry group known for their use of uh, Nazi-like iconography and a number of controversies involving their leader, who goes by the name Fox or Nightfire. And he's been accused of everything from grooming to bestiality to, even worse, stealing someone else's persona and commissioning art of it fucking. (laughs) Oh, God. That's bad. Violating. Really bad. You cannot violate the fursona. So leftists consider the furry raiders unambiguously Nazis. The furry raiders dispute this, but they don't shy away from edgelord conservatism and and they make Nazi references. 
are they SS wannabes or are they trolls? It's hard to know what's real and what's dripping with irony with this group. But as for whether or not the guys at the beach are affiliated with them, we'll get to that. I, we just saw this with Nate Hockman, the, the DeSantis campaign staffer and journalist who got he got fired from the DeSantis campaign because he made this bizarre meme video that included Nazi imagery of DeSantis. Uh, you can't. I, it's absolutely true. If the question is, deep in their heart, is everyone online who uses a racial slur or Nazi actually a deeply racist or Nazi person? No. There is this like meme irony. But you can't expect any sympathy for adopting the iconography of a the most her- horrific genocidal group in human history and then be like, oh, I was just joking. Like, that's stupid. So I, it's crazy that anyone would try that. Well, I mean, I think the ethos on this has has changed a bit. And the fact that this stuff doesn't disappear and it can haunt you for the rest of your life is something that people realize now, whereas maybe 10 or 15 years ago, the morality of the internet was different. Yeah. Yeah. It's just um, maybe just don't use Nazi imagery. That's a good solution. To, to Just to dispel any confusion about whether you're not a Nazi, you could just not you know, do Nazi-like things. Sure. But it is also true that there are lots of edgelords online and part of their ethos is to Post the most offensive shit. Yeah, that's true. And like the goal is to get a rise out of people. And I don't think that's necessarily a reflection of someone's political beliefs. Regardless, uh, Dogpatch's source goes on to say that Ren, sh- Ren and Scarred showed up at this event, started filming, were asked to leave. And that's that's why this pirate wolf attacked Ren with a microphone. Quote, it's regrettable that it came to violence, but there shouldn't be regret about who it happened to. And so this is the story that spread within the furry fandom. It was either, sure, violence is bad, blah, 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 but really he had it coming, or it was, hell yeah, punch Nazis. There was a lot of that on Twitter. So friend of the pod, Bimbo Horse, who you may remember twerking uh, with a little fox puppet from a few episodes ago. You remember this? I do remember that. That image was, was seared into my brain. Yeah. So Bimbo Horse tweeted this along with the video of the fight. See, I really want to invest in fursuit boxing now because this looks cool as hell. Also added bonus, punching Nazis, extremely base. Thank you for a suitor person whose name I don't know yet. Why Why do, uh, whenever this comes up, like, if these folks are so enthusiastic about punching Nazis, I call this the Arthur Chu question, why are you not in the streets punching Nazis? Like, go out there. And I, I mean, I'm asking that rhetorically because the answer is like, these are folks who like have a panic attack if they encounter a fluorescent light, <laughs> but like... It's just very weird. If punching Nazis is that important, go punch Nazis. I think you're asking a lot for them to leave the basement. <laughs> and the Nazis have to come to them and then they can punch them. Also, punching in a fursuit, do you think it has much effect? Well, that's why the guy used a fucking megaphone to smash yeah. the dude's head. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, th- that sentiment was extremely widespread online. So I'm going to read you a few tweets. All caps, beat more chuds with megaphones. That's with the clapping hand emoji. Another one, see, I think we just need to bring back people beating people's ass like this. Another one. Nah, I'm sorry. This is fucking amazing. Holy shit. These are all, by the way, people with furry avatars. Of course. And another, my man's the hero. Fuck these little Nazi bitches. This is what we goddamn say when we talk about getting rid of this trash in our fandom. You can't talk to a Nazi. Their very existence is violence. So they need to be responded to with violence. But violence is wrong. Shut your little piss baby shit lip pie hole. Your coddling and hand-wringing and just ignore them bullshit is why they are growing and getting bolder. Because y'all don't want to get your hands dirty dealing with them the way your damn ancestors did. A, I think that should be pause. And B, this is actually what the coddling of the American mind refers to. None of these, these are all like disturbed people. Because they they think every, well, okay. They're not people, Jesse. They're animals, yeah. You're misspeciesing them. Okay, so there's also a notable thread by a person who goes by the name Sarah the Lioness. 
who, according to their Twitter bio, is a 23-year-old polystoner lion skin with the pronouns kit, it, she, who is, quote, not a person, identity-wise, and who has at least three systems or multiple personalities. Uh, this is who you want deciding who should be punched exactly. and who shouldn't. Kit, it, she is also neurodivergent, which is the first one of those labels, I fully believe. Uh, so in this thread, Sarah the Lioness describes a bit of the backstory behind the fight. She says that she hosted a meetup with Ren and Scard for a year and a half, but they're no longer friends. Quote, Ren and Scard have a history of harassment, and the proof is not hard to find. A while ago, I had trusted them as a friend and then some. Their true colors are flying high now for all to see. And if this fandom does anything right, it's kicking out trash. And this thread, this is going to come up again later. It went viral in this world and was cited in articles about the fight. So remember this, okay? Yes. But do Sarah we, the Lioness. Sarah the Lioness. Do we know who actually punched the guy? The pirate wolf? Or, sorry, not punched. They slammed him. Yeah, who's the pirate wolf? Uh, so he goes by the name Fenris, and he was very proud of himself. And so after he was arrested, booked, arraigned, and released, he spent some time bragging about the assault on Twitter. I got to oh. say, whoever, whatever furry like dressed like an owl he hired to be his lawyer did not give him good <laughs> advice if he's bragging about it on Twitter. Uh, oh, and in addition to being a furry with an apparent violence streak, he also runs a not safe for work Vore account. Jesse, I assume you're a big Vore guy. What the fuck is Vore? Vore is a fetish based on fantasies about eating people. Nope, nope, <laughs> just stop. The term. How comes- are these? How are all these people such like weirdo perverts? I'm so I'm. Very accepting. If you want to dress up like a dog and fuck another person dress up, that's fine. But it always, they can never just leave it at that. It always gets, well, I guess like a bias because we wouldn't end up talking about that if they weren't weirdo. But a fetish? Yeah, I mean, some people just dress up in dogs and raise their kids. Exactly. You know? There's some normal furries. Exactly. Okay. They go to soccer games. They go to Little League. Just We're looking at a small sliver of the furry fandom. How, uh, how is it named vor? What does vor mean? Glad you asked. Lore comes for the, from the Latin vorare or to eat or devour. Is it vorare or vorare? I don't know. doesn't matter. Okay, so you asked a minute ago if the victim was actually a Nazi or if his boyfriend is actually a Nazi. So again, the victim's name is Ren. He's a dragon furry. His boyfriend goes by the name Scarred. He's also a dragon furry. Uh, They didn't have their fursuits on or I guess their scale suits uh, at the beach. So in the video, they just look like men, but they are furries. So our furry friend Trace talked to both Ren and Scarred extensively. They both denied being Nazis. Ren says that politically, he's a Bernie Sanders Democratic Socialist. And if you look at his Twitter, it lines up. Like, he has a long history of retweeting accounts like Occupy Democrats and calling Republicans fascist. He also made pro-BLM videos in 2020. And if you look closely in the video of him being assaulted, he's wearing... Actually, Jesse, I'm going to send you a photo that he gave us. This was him in the hospital after the beating. Please describe. Oh, (laughs) he's wearing, like... Uh, a big head thing, like a bandage on his head and a face mask. And he's got a clipboard and a form, but the shirt, <laughs> science, science is real. Black lives matter. No human is elite. Don't laugh, Katie. What the fuck? Love is love. In this women's, house, we believe. Women's rights are human rights. Kindness is everything. So this is what he was wearing when he got beat in the head with a microphone. Well, how does this guy get treated as, this is, again, I, we shouldn't even have to say this. Cause people are. Oh, anyway, and, and. He's wearing Tevas. Oh, no Nazi would wear Tevas. It's an Israeli <laughs> company. Um, the the problem that's been repeatedly pointed out with deputizing random assholes to punch Nazis is that people will be, once you give violent people license to punch anyone in a certain category, whether it's Nazis or TERFs, that term will expand 
to encompass them punching anyone they they want to. So mm-hmm. this might just be a uh, a bad idea. I take it there's no other lurking evidence out there that this guy is like a secret Nazi who wears these shirts to go undercover. Uh, we will get there. It, it, politically, it seems like the only right wing view that he has is that he was skeptical about vaccine mandates. But like, so is Marianne Williamson and half of Waldorf mom. So I don't think that's even a clear cut right wing view. There's zero evidence that he is politically a Nazi or even a centrist. He's a Bernie bro. But surely his boyfriend is an actual Nazi. Okay, the boyfriend's case is slightly more complicated. He has similar politics to Ren. So he told Trace that he wants to see Trump hung for insurrection. (laughs) He thinks Bernie should have won the primary, not Hillary. He wants free health care for all. He said, quote, I believe in equal rights for all. Trans rights are human rights. BLM is a justified movement. Trans rights are human rights. So he got that one in there twice. He voted for Biden the last time around. And everything he told Trace is in line with his public social media feeds, which are mostly a mix of photography, dragon pictures, and leftist commentary. But he does have some controversies in his past, and that's the root of the Nazi allegations. Okay, so what are the controversies? And are they going to be stupid and weird? Yes. Okay, so his first introduction to the furry fandom was a role-playing server in the video game Gary's Mod, where he role-played as a Nazi furry named Rogue back in 2017 when he was 20. At one point, someone gifted him art of his character, and he posted this publicly. So, Jesse, please describe this. I posted it in our in our notes. It's like a, a rather dashing fo- Dapper. Is a fox. Yeah, I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to avoid that word. Dapper. Dapper. Some sort of canine that is like looking at the camera a bit slyly cartoon it's you know cartoon style and he's wearing an armband and where there should be a swastika there's a uh paw i guess a fascist paw symbol and and he says in sort of the caption rogue the nazi fur removed swastika to the nazi fur logo which i guess is his paw because the star star heart 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 ing fucking sjw's found it offensive so he'd wanted there to be a swastika there right so trace asked about this character And Scard said, in short, that he was a young, dumb, immature at the time. It was an unhealthy environment for many reasons, but it was just a character he played in a game. So he also said he was a military brat. He moved around a lot. He was socially isolated. He was lonely. And he found community in this this video game. So basically, he says he wasn't a real Nazi furry. He was just playing one on his PC. But this image has come back to haunt him. I will say, like... Uh, notwithstanding what I said about how if you don't want to be treated as a Nazi, don't slay Nazi imagery. A 20-year-old who did this very edgelord thing once and since then, no sign of Nazidom like that. I would hope you could forgive someone in that case. But is there is there more to the story or other evidence? Okay, so there's another controversy. This was the aforementioned group Furry Raiders, which Pacho Fur mentioned in his write-up of the assault. So there's a screenshot that frequently gets passed around this community to prove that Scard is a Nazi. And it's an image of his name on the member list. Scard says, and has always said, that he was a lurker, not a participant in this group. And he did this to keep an eye on the group. He also says that he snuck into various alt-right groups, including at one point the main Proud Boys Telegram group. And he says he was doing this for self-protection. He's gay. His boyfriend is gay. And he was worried about attacks where he lived. He told Trace, quote, As 2020 got closer and political tensions were hot, I wanted to at least have an idea of what the militants were doing because some kind of takeover of the government was a genuine possibility to me, and it almost did happen. I was literally joking with our roommate at the time that we were going to have to set up an LGBTQ resistance cell. So he's like a paranoid hashtag resistance furry. He says he was basically a mole. He also says that he left all of these groups in 2021, and he has never spoken a word in any of them, including furry raiders. 
And has is there any way to like verify this? It seems like a hard thing to prove one way or the other. Well, we did verify it because at least with furry raiders, because our very good boy Trace talked to Foxler. Foxler, the head of the uh, furry raiders. Here's what Foxler said. And remind me, the furry raiders are like, at the very least, they fuck around with Nazi imagery, whatever right. you think of it. Like, this is a questionable right. group. Okay. And this is their leader, Foxler Nightfire? Yes. He's the one who's been accused okay. of everything from bestiality to grooming to stealing somebody else's persona. And we don't mean grooming like grooming himself. No, like licking his paws. Because he's a dog or a fox. Right. Okay. <laughs> Here's what he said. Furry raiders have been around for 15 years now. We checked our logs and records to see if these furries have ever been a part of our group, but we could not find any history of them being in our group. We also have a web store with sales records, and no one from the SoCal area has ever purchased any of our gear. Based on this information, we have no confirmation that they have ever been a part of the group. If they were a part of our group, we would help with legal matters in the state of California. So... Also in this message, Fox or sort of ironically, bemoan calls for violence in the furry community. It's sort of funny. Uh, the Nazi's a pacifist. And he invited Chase to check out their server, which Chase did. And while he was there, he asked several other members on the server about Scarred. None of them had any clue who he was. So Trace checked their, their chat logs. And out of a million posts on the server, his name had never been mentioned and he had never posted. So basically, he was never affiliated with them in any sort of meaningful way that we're aware of. That's weird that they keep all their archives online. I think that's like an opposite yeah. issue, separate issue. Yeah. Okay, so after Trace realized this, he went to Pacho Fur, the furry who wrote the article about the assault and claims Scarred was a Nazi, and he asked him what he thought. And Mr. O'Furr sent back a long message that included this line. Yes, Scarred was an active member of the Furry Raiders. Foxer denies it. Of course he does. There's screenshots of Scarred inside. Yes, they are old. If he left, that's good, but not good enough to get a pass on repeatedly doing the same stuff for years. Now, he says screenshots, plural. We could only find the one screenshot of his name on the member list. And again, no evidence of any kind of participation. Gotcha. Okay. So it sounds like the case that he's any sort of actual Nazi is pretty damn weak. Yes. So let's just pause here and recap for a second. Ren the dragon gets assaulted at the furry party at the beach because his boyfriend Scarred the dragon is an alleged Nazi. Although really there's no evidence that he's actually a Nazi beyond the fursona he used in a role-playing game in 2017 and one screenshot of his name on the furry raiders, which Scarred says is just him monitoring the group. So very little evidence and I find his explanations plausible. So why do people keep calling these two Nazis despite the thin evidence that they are actually Nazis? Well, for one, people will believe whatever the hell they read on the internet. But it also turns out that there's a long, bitter backstory here. And this started several years ago when Ren and Scarred were banned from a couple of furry meetups for some incredibly petty interpersonal drama. So basically, a dispute started over Scarred asking for rides in a furry chat too often. Like to ride the, the horse furries or like rides in a car? Jesse, that's your fantasy, not his. Rides in a car. All right, so here's what Ren told Trace. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Basically, there was a furry meetup, furry con in 2018. Uh, he didn't have a ride. And then Ren says this. So he went on the SoCal First chat group and simply asked people for a ride. He asked once a day because, you know, if you don't ask repeatedly on a chat group, it will disappear into obscurity. So you got to ask a few times so people physically see the request. The admins refused to repin the quest as well. So he asked a few times, and they suddenly came after him and basically told him to stop asking, period, and he was frustrated and simply asked them why, and they had no real reason. 
Okay, so it sounds like this guy was actually totally asking for it. I mean, asking people for a ride to a convention, that that's a capital offense. That's fucked up. And to be clear, this wasn't the beach thing. This is way earlier, back when this was going down. Yeah, this was sort of the beginning of them becoming persona non grata within this community. And Ren thinks like, hey, this is just a misunderstanding. Let's go to one of their meets. We can explain ourselves in person, clear the air. This will all be over. So they do that. But Ren says that instead of clearing the air, this made this way worse. Quote, they freaked out and triggered him, that's his boyfriend's card, to freak out, and it went downhill. I stepped in to try to resolve things, but they felt actually violated. So Ren says that his boyfriend, he got upset. He went back to the van. Ren tried to stick around and, like, clear things up, but it didn't work, and they asked him to leave, too. So that's the first banning. And Ren provided documentation of this in the form of chat logs. And so for my outside reading of this, outsider reading of this, Basically, what you have is a number of people with, frankly, kind of limited social skills being awkward. And that just kind of should have been the end of it. Yeah. And then around the same time, Ren and Scard found their way into leadership positions uh, in a weekly furry meetup in the area. This is called the Rose Bowl Furry Meet. Jesse, would you like a photo of the group? Uh, please. All right. Check the notes. It's about what I expected. A lot of sunny California park, lots of people, some in fursuits, some just... Uh, you know, it's a yeah. male-dominated <laughs> gathering, it looks like. Although hard to tell in the fursuits. That's true. That's true. What is what is a furry male? Yeah. So they also attended uh, other meetups in the area, including the Sunset Beach Bonfire Meet. That's where the assault would later take place. And then COVID hits. So after California started reopening, Ren and Scarred floated the idea of restarting their own outdoor mass meetups. And this bit of news was not terribly well-received by several of the furry meetup admins in the area, two of whom, uh, a non-binary furry named Scout Pawfoot and a trans woman furry named Silverbeak, decided to do something about this. And by do something, I mean blow them up on social media. So they invited Ren into a group chat, tried to badger him into canceling the meetups. And then when he responded, basically saying, look, I'm a grown up. The meetups were outdoors and masked. I'm doing this. They took screenshots of this, posted them on social media, and said he was going to murder people. Oh, my God. And, of course, they said that Ren and Scarred were Nazis, actually. So Ren threatens to sue them for slander, and they get banned from more meets. So they just they, they weren't forcing anyone to attend a meetup. The state was opening up. They wanted to do outdoor mass meetups. That's met with like a huge public shaming within the community. Right. And you know the political leanings of the furry community, right? Like we have, there's even some data on this. Furries are very progressive. Lots of overlap between LGBT and especially trans communities. Lots of autism. This is a population that I think is going to be more inclined to see something like an outdoor mass meetup as literal murder. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. So by this point, these people, are these, should I call them people? Is that offensive? These things. These things, these animals, they hate each other. Hostility continues to mount. And I'm talking specifically about Ren Scard and these two, these two uh, trans non-binary furries, Scout Pawfoot and Silverbeak. So they hate each other. Then earlier this year, another admin in a furry meetup chat who goes by the name Rose told Scard that Scout Pawfoot and Silverbeak were planning on creating a document that included Scar's full legal name, address, and the allegations against them. So they're going to dox them, right? Scar then retaliates by figuring out their names and addresses and sending them to them. So basically being like, I know who you are. And if you dox me, I'm going to sue you. So Trace talked to Rose at length. 
and got more details on this whisper campaign. And it turns out that Rose also at one point believed that Scard was a Nazi and had banned him from her meet because she didn't want a Nazi in her group. Then she went to another meet, not realizing that Scard was actually the host of it, got his side of the story, and she realized she'd been had. Here's what she said about Silverbeak and, and Scout Puffet. They are the two strongest people pushing the Nazi accusations. So anyone who meets Ren and Scard without knowing about the accusations are very quickly told he's a racist and a fascist and a Nazi without any context or evidence of what he did to get that title. God damn, this is quite a campaign over so <laughs> over fundamentally so little. These people should get into politics. So Trace also reached out to Scout Poffett for comment. Uh, they said they couldn't talk about it due to threats from Ren and Scard. When Trace pressed them to describe the threats, they declined due to legal reasons. Silverbeak declined to comment at all. Um, okay, there's one more character, unfortunately, I need to reintroduce here. Sarah the Lioness. Do you remember Kit Hitter? Yep. Okay, this is the multiple personality furry who hosted a meetup with Scard for one and a half years and then posted a viral thread after the assault about how he's a Nazi with a history of harassment. So according to Scard, the reason they are no longer friends goes back to when he told Sarah the Lioness that he had Silverback's full legal name. He posts that legal name in a chat to Sarah the Lioness, and she freaks out because by posting that legal name, he has committed the high crime of dead naming. <laughs> okay. This act ends their friendship. Scard sent us chats and texts between them, and they are ugly as hell. At one point, Sarah says in all caps, we are being murdered out here, presumably talking about the great furry genocide. Uh, Scarred, he's also an asshole right back to her. He calls her a fucking loon, although to be fair, she does have four systems living inside her head, so that might actually be a medical diagnosis. He also calls her a stupid skank ass and says, you are so hypnotizingly mind-addled, you can't see right from wrong. Transphobic, no bitch, it's called scared. So scared of what she did to me last time that I finally put my foot down where I knew it would make her stop and leave me alone. Oh man, these people are um, unwell. That's the word for it. Yeah, he comes across as very defensive, very mad online, a lot of fire in the dragon's heart. Uh, so naturally, after Ren is assaulted, Sarah goes online and tells the world that he and his boyfriend are trash. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that's the backstory. Lots of bad blood between these three trans non-binary furries, furries. That's Sarah the Lioness, Scout Pawfoot, and Silverbeak, and the gay dragons Ren and Scarred. Got it? Not really, but let's just let's just power through. <laughs> this is it's so just, crazy. It's interpersonal bullshit that has very yes. little to do with actual politics. Mixed with mixed with COVID maximalism. Right. So back to the event. Last year, Ren and Scarred attended the Sunset Beach Bonfire without issue. This year, Scout Pawfoot and Silverbeak were involved in leading that meetup. And uh -oh. yeah. the alliances have shifted. The power has shifted. Exactly. So Ren and Scard knew this and they decided to go anyway. And they didn't really think it was going to be a big deal because they've been to meets with Silverback and Scout Poffet before and it's been fine. Scard says he even played Cards Against Humanity with Silverbeak and there was never any sort of physical competition. I mean, as you can imagine, my, like I would guess that most furries are more likely to shit talk and spread rumors online than to like take to fisticuffs. Yeah, you would think so. Uh, Ren also said that what happens with these bands is that the organizers of various meetups They'll make lists of people they have beef with that are basically banned lists. But he says that in this case, no one told him in Scar that they'd been officially banned from this meet. No one reached out to tell them, like, hey, you can't come. So Ren described what happened when they got there. He says they walked past the changing tent, which is, I guess, where you change from your business fursuit to your beach fursuit, and they started <laughs> looking for their friends. 
Almost immediately, this pirate wolf, Fenris, tells them to leave and starts yelling at them through the, through the megaphone. And then really soon after, the pirate wolf nails him in the head with the megaphone. Others jump in, the fight breaks up, the police show up, Ren goes to the hospital, and Fenris is arrested. He says that he'd never spoken to the assailant before, and the reason he was filming wasn't to antagonize anyone, but because he's making a documentary. He is a documentary filmmaker slash actor, although I'm using that term very broadly. How badly was he hurt? Pretty badly. He got a concussion. He says, half my left eyebrow was entirely torn off and hanging down. Left hand still bruised from blocking the bullhorn on the first strike. Five stitches for the eyebrow, and my vision hasn't been remotely good since. Seems like my eyes are not in the right place anymore. I've got a bunch of doctor's appointments to figure it out. It'll take plastic surgery to recreate my eyebrow, and I'll need to figure out what's up with my eye. Nobody knows yet. Oh my god, this is awful. Yeah, he got his ass beat. So, in sum... You have these long simmering tensions based on interpersonal bullshit. This slowly blossomed into something much nastier, including libelous Nazi allegations and a deliberate years-long whisper campaign to turn people against Ren and Scard. Ren and Scard continue to show up where they aren't welcome. An uninvolved third-party pirate wolf decides to play the hero and attacks a man whose crime seems to be sticking up for his boyfriend. Story goes viral. The media reports a bunch of misinformation and speculation based on a 17-second video clip, and people online, uh, sorry, furries online, cheer the guy who beat a gay man who was sticking out for his boyfriend because they're a bunch of wannabe anti-fascists sitting at home trying to type in a fursuit. So that's pretty much it. And considering that it's California and pirate wolves who make Vorparn are actually a protected class there, I suspect the assailant will get away with a slap on the paw. It's interesting to me how there always has to be a hierarchy. Like, I'm sure if you ask these guys, they consider themselves a sort of outsider group, counterculture. And yet, like, in every group, there always has to be, like, an underclass. So even these, like, freak weirdos who know that society hates them, they have to find someone to hate who's lower than them on the hierarchy. Not only that, but someone they hate so badly and dehumanize so much that it's, like, worth, um, you know, uh, enacting violence against them. This is, like, some really bad, like, post-war social psychology experiment or something. Is it dehumanizing when it's furries? <laughs> I can't believe they would de-animalize them. Yeah. This might be actually human nature, and if not, definitely furry nature. Absolutely. Oh, last thing on this. Trace has written a long article about everything that happened with some details that we didn't mention here. He's He, he really put his, <laughs> put his little furry heart into this one, and we'll be sending that out to subscribers soon. Looking forward to learning even more about this, I think. <laughs> it just it just goes to show, man, people are such like tough guys online to just like cheer on someone getting assaulted when you know you don't know jack shit about what happened. Like violence is bad. You should not be violent. Bold words from Jesse Single. That's my take. I'm basically Martin Luther King Jr. Katie, thank you for that horrible story. Thank you, Trace, for all the work you did on this. Uh, this has been Blocked and Reported. As always, we're produced with help from Trace and from the mysterious Lex. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, it's not weird if your sexual orientation involves you eating huge amounts of pizza. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if you're going to punch a Nazi, make sure it's a Nazi.